three generations of celebrities or special women, the aesthetics change, but the concept remains. And somebody I definitely would have loved to dress and I haven't got there yet is Billie Eilish, just because I think she's just such a free spirit and she loves colour. Welcome, everybody. I am Susie Menkes, editor of Vogue International at Condé Nast, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Ladomia Pucci was 23 years old when she started to work with her father in Florence. By that time, the aristocratic Marquis Emilio Pucci had become famous for his distinctive geometric prints and for being the first fashion creator to incorporate his name as a pattern among the kaleidoscope of colours. Then there were Pucci's high-flying clients, from Jacqueline Kennedy Anassis to Sophia Loren, and his crazily patterned clothes for airline uniforms in those mid-century years when travel was flying high in every sense. A decade after her founding father had passed away and Laudomia had taken over, LVMH bought a 67% ownership of Pucci in 2000. Laudomia, whose title is Image Director, had two aims at the turn of the new millennium. She wanted to bring in a series of different designers to reinterpret the spirit of the brand and to offer exceptional students access to the archives. It is to the credit of Pucci and its inheritance that, in an era when patterns are churned out digitally, the quality and originality of the founding father remains unique. I'm so excited to see you this way. It's rather fun. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you anyway, let me tell you. <laughs> and especially without a mask on, if I have to be honest. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't know. There are days when I'm quite pleased I'm behind a mask. Um, Ladomia, I'd love to talk to you about what I feel is quite a, a, a complex thing, that you, Laudomia Pucci, as the daughter of the late Emilio Pucci and his famous, famous prince, do you see an irony in the fact that his imaginative and colourful patterns took flight actually in planes because there was the booming airline vacations in the 1960s? He was part of all that. And now in this Covid time, fashion is more about hanging out at home in a sweatshirt than going out in something colourful and beautiful. Do you think a happy, colourful Pucci as an image can still work? But, you know, I love this question because I'm, I didn't look at it that way. And it's interesting to understand your viewpoint on this, just because, yes, we are going in a world of more casual fashion. And, you know, you know it better than me with the streetwear, the sneakers, uh, the tees, the sweatpants, the hoodies and all that. But it's been on for a while. And this has sort of been the kind of apotheosis of that use of that moment where you're just sitting at home on a couch and you don't have to get dressed up. Actually... I think it doesn't have so much to do with colour, but probably more with uh, comfort, if I may say. 
And if I have to think of, of the way my father looked at fashion, first and foremost, it was to allow movement. And that's where, as you very well know, he created the jerseys, uh, the silk jerseys. Um, and that allowed movement, of course. So when I'm looking at some staples of, of the creation of the brand, you know, if it's leggings, if it's palazzo pants, if it's caftans, it's all pieces that have been in the collection since probably 40, 50 years, if not more. I mean, the leggings go back to the 60s, uh, the palazzos are the 60s, the caftans. I have memories, and I'm sure you do too, because it's probably when we first met in the early 90s, or 1990 actually, the pictures of Linda Evangelista with leggings and a pucci blouse, or El Decor, that's El US, that summer, uh, published images of girls in leggings on colored pillows with a colored headband and a t-shirt. Now, for me, that is pretty similar of laying back in a, in a couch and being kind of COVID limited, but with a happy feel. And you know, many people have been home, as we all know, and they've tried to buy scented candles and flowers or whatever to make their home a little bit more cheery and a little less sad. So I think a touch of Pucci, if it's, you know, those pieces, I think it, it's probably uh, just as good. And, you know, people on Zooms, they've all been Zooming around like crazy. Um, I've been wearing a Pucci blouse and then God knows what you had on your legs. If it was shorts, if it was uh, jeans, if it was... So I think we're seeing at, uh, looking at a moment of immense change, but I think, as usual, funny enough, Pucci can adapt to all that very, very easily. Hasn't Pucci had to adapt already, really? Because, you know, your father was so linked with Firenze, with Florence. It's not just part of his family heritage, but, I mean, he's ennobled by that part of Italy. Are there still links with Pucci in its historic roots? Because I feel now that it is completely international. I know you hold exhibitions, don't you, and events in the Palazzo Pucci in the heart of Florence, but do they have an overall message about Florence, about the city where you grew up? Well, there are two ways of looking at things. You know, my father was a very special person, as you remember him, full of contrast. And I think he put that into the, into the brand too. And basically, I often say and think that everything you say about Pucci is true and the contrary is true too. That is quite amazing. And so, yeah, we have very strong roots in Florence, not just because of the family being here since a few centuries, but roots in the sense that fashion was created in Florence in Italy in the early 50s thanks to Marchese Giorgini, as we all know. Um, my father was showing with Ferragamo shoes here, you know, so, so that was the beginning of fashion here. But of course, we cannot forget that he had been educated in the States in the 30s, before the war. And I don't think, and I was speaking to a friend the other day, and he said, you know, Ladomia, if he were born in Taranto, he wouldn't have done fashion. He would have been an extraordinary man, but Florence inspired fashion. The Renaissance leggings of the pageantry have become his leggings. Uh, there is so much of that creativity that he put into his ready-to-wear, and not only in the shapes, I would say, but also, as you know very well, the geometric patterns, the colours and all that. He was extremely inspired by all the arts. So I think the creativity and the history come from here in a very strong part. 
the market, the curiosity, and uh, you call it adaptation, but I think it's also innovation come from the world. Yeah, I, I think that your father, Emilio Pucci, was also um, interesting because he did so many things more than clothes. The clothes are the ones that got all the attention. But I like that big and colourful book of yours called Unexpected Pucci. And that's just what it is. It's a remembrance that there are chairs and china and cushions and all sorts of things designed by your father to modernize not clothing as much as the world of interiors. Do you and your mother share that memory of, of living in Florence with a kind of balance of the hypermodern that your father loved and the historical, which is all around the city? Well, let's say absolutely. You know, if we look at it from a family perspective, my mother and father did the beautiful garden that you visited in Tuscany, thanks to the, the creativity and the genius of Gaia Olenti, the architect, whose only garden is that one. And that's super modern and it works around the lines. It's extremely geometric of, of the villa. And uh, it looks like a pattern, actually, if you look at it, a Pucci pattern. So that's very, very amusing. And she worked inside the palazzo, so she did something extremely modern and so on. So, yeah, they, they also use it as a way of life. And actually, uh, I think I have taken it on very much myself. So. Um, as you know, when you came in these recent exhibits in the Palazzo, you had uh, turquoise moquette or fuchsia moquette, or you had mannequins six meter tall, or you had a, a kind of provocation of what the old can become and uh, mute into modern. Now, it's certain that these kind of collaborations that my father did were very, very different. Some were, of course, with a commercial approach, let's say the perfumes, what have you, and then we've done in the years the Guerlain makeup or whatever. And some were absolutely genius uh, and unexpected, very unexpected, like the NASA logo in the 70s that, of course, is quite unique. You have no other designer that's gone to the moon. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed, as I say, trying to work around the various aspects myself and carry that forward if it was in the mosaics, because handmade mosaics with bizarza or chairs or what have you. Also working with some artists. Uh, it's been, it's been uh, and I think it's an incredible innovation that he wanted to touch and, and create everything around him. In the old days, probably there'd be Cardin doing that, but today it's become probably a best practice that, you know, brands um, collaborate on different kinds of things, every sort of thing. You know, Fendi's done the ice creams, if you wish. So the, it's become a way of life. But I think definitely Pucci was probably the first and the strongest in doing it and still is in a way. Of course, your father sadly passed away and um, you took over for the first part. And then the LVMH bought the majority share of your Emilio Pucci company in 2000. That's already 20 years ago. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's it. Years. It's gone so fast. Well, there have yeah. been quite a lot of number of designers, haven't there? I mean, only just a few of yeah. them I can cite. Antonio Berardi, Christian Lacroix, Peter Dundas, who stayed about six years, I think. Um, and then there were the very short stayers like Massimo Gioetti and recently Capsule Collections from um, Christelle yes. Kosha from um, Paris and um, this season from Tomo Koizumi. Um, I want to talk about him, but first explain to me the philosophy of changing the designer. Listen, I think, as you remind, uh, just, just went through my career in fashion quite rapidly and correctly, I think for about 10, 10 years or more, I designed myself. And of course, um, I just, you know, worked very closely to 
illuminated customers and and uh, that took me forward um, but uh, certainly the brand needed a certain amount of energy and for me uh, what these designers have brought one or the other and we also had Matthew Williamson in the list that you just were mentioning uh, they all brought a incredible first of all passion and curiosity for the brand and uh, they all brought a personal interpretation uh, for me Christian was probably the one who had um, deepest culture probably of fashion and of knowledge of uh, should I call it the Mediterranean colors and a kind of uh, couturish approach but at the same with lots of charm and sense of humor Matthew for me was more of a print design I think he did some brilliant prints that were totally innovative as a take on on the brand Peter you know he he was a celebrity uh, kind of story and uh, so, you know, they all brought in something. Uh, and when you have an older brand, a heritage brand, I think it's important to be able to make sure that you're speaking to your customer that is transversal and, you know, different kinds of generations and different kinds of probably cultures and you, and you can interpret that. And I think it's difficult, very, very difficult in a world that's going faster and faster to be able to be on top of so many collections and so much innovation. And that's why probably, you know, as things go on, collaborations move on, and you have a studio that is very strong, I would suggest. And then you have, you know, voices. Now we have these seasonal collaborations. And, and honestly, you know, I think it's been very amusing for me to see because, for example, with Coche, she came in, uh, she studied the archive for about a day. She had asked for some very specific uh, things. She studied it and she was really to the point. You know, she knew what she wanted to see and uh, what she didn't want to see and why and what. And um, I was very impressed by how focused she was. And, you know, the, the result is I think she came out with something that was actually the reason for doing these things. And it's uh, the collection is there, but also you're entertaining your customer. You're giving more visibility uh, to media, to social. Uh, you're creating, I, you remember the stand with the T-shirts that we were um, doing, you know, um, special T-shirts for every single person who was there. I tell you something now, Damien, I'm longing to see, talking about the uh, Japanese designer Tomo Kutsumi, what he's done for you, because he really won my fashion heart, that amazing presentation in New York within the Marc Jacobs store. And um, I believe he'd been found by Katie Grand um, on Instagram or something. But what we saw was this extraordinary blow-ups of fabric. He called it, I think, a fanciful and dreamy vision of womanhood. Do you think that's what you're going to see now? Why did you choose him? And listen, it's the, it's the group choosing him. And, uh, and I think, uh, honestly, he's, he's an extraordinary talent of fabric, of, of uh, color, of uh, uh, romance in a way, right? And, and I think uh, as much as Coche was clear, as I was saying, and more urban, etc., I think he's more couture dream in a way. And you can ask yourself, well, well is Pucci really couture? Probably uh, you have a question on that. But on the other hand, when you look at the 
intricate work that my father used to do with three ateliers here at the Palazzo. Uh, it was probably not 3D or as, as overly blown up, but the research was there. So I think there is also a question of uh, craft that comes in that is very close to our heart besides the colors. And let's not forget that in the early 60s, we were already present in Japan. My father had a strong liking for Japan. Uh, we participated, if I'm not wrong, in the early 70s uh, to the Osaka Expo. So, you know, there is a tradition there. And personally, I like the idea very, very much of going into another culture totally and in uh, a faraway continent. You know, we, we are out of the Western world. I think that's fantastic. There is another logic to it. And even, even you know, for example, uh, a few years back, I... I was having, I don't know where I was, and I bumped into Murakami, and you know, he looked at me and we had a chat, and he said, oh, Ladome, is there somebody I love in, you know, in the Western world is what your father did, the colors, etc." So I think, you know, there is a, a creative match there um, that works between a very sophisticated uh, Japanese tradition and uh, the exuberance at the same time of Pucci. And I think that could be really fun to see. I think we're going to all enjoy it. Going through that litany of your past designers, I believe that there's only one of them who's actually Italian. Was that deliberate? Didn't anyone notice? Or do you actually have to be international to fire up an existing brand? Is there any room today for family inheritance in Italy? Uh, listen, I think, I think you know, uh, I work a lot with schools, with young talent. And you see, as you, as you know better than me, you see every single nation. I, if I have to just quote Polimoda, they have 70% of uh, foreign um, attendance. So I think today education is very, it's very open when you're going into fashion. In my days, uh, there was hardly any fashion education, as you know very well. So it's open to everybody, so you have a bit of a bigger world coming in. But I would suggest there are two reasons. Uh, let, let's see if we agree on this. One is that there are many Italian fashion companies that are still in the hands of the founders, the creators, and they design or they do the follow-up in many, many aspects. Uh, Etro, Missoni, um, Alberta Ferretti, of course, Armani, of course, Versace, of course. You know, so uh, then you have a few Italian designers that take that low role. Look at Lorenzo Serafini, for example, or what have you. But I have noticed uh, that as much as the studios are strong in Italy with Italian talent, funnily enough, either you come in by succession, probably as it happened with Gucci, with Alessandro Michele, who had been there for so long. And of course, he came from the Academia of Rome. Um, but I think it was, he had been there and he just was the right person at the right, but it was a succession that came in. Or sometimes, you know, um, you have these designers that also study abroad and tend sometimes also to live abroad. And I'm thinking, for example, at uh, Riccardo Tisci, you know, he worked, of course, in Paris and now in London. So I don't think there is a specific reasoning behind it. I think that we are very lucky, for example, you know, to have Silvia Fendi in Fendi, uh, have Pierpaolo in Valentino, 
Uh, I think, though, you need also a balance of some international blood also, because funny enough, as we know, we are catering more and more to international clients, so you have to make sure that there is a conversation going on and it works. Um, I'm interested in what you said about um, the uh, schools, the fashion schools in um, Florence, and that they have a very large percentage are actually um, students who come from abroad. I mean, wasn't your father actually paramount in bringing fashion to Florence and, and creating the Florentine um, school, Polymoda? What do you think has been his legacy, not just to the Pucci, but also to the fashion world? I'm talking about your father's ability here to think out Side the box to think about young talent, all these things? I think uh, there are two things, in fact. One is, I always believe, in a nutshell, that he and a few others were at the very roots of the Made in Italy. If today Made in Italy exists, it's because they were extraordinary men or women, whatever. Uh, maybe Roberta Camerino, too, kind of idea. But if we have to think of today, there was Salvatore Ferragamo, there was my father working with artisans in Italy and exporting beautiful clothes, beautiful shoes, etc. Um, and today we see that that tradition, funny enough, is picked up when we see that Dior came to Lecce to work with the artists and then they've you know, talked a lot about it. And for example, when Dolce Gabbana came to Florence working with the artisans last week, so we're kind of giving the same you know, narrative and storytelling. But it's definitely the made in Italy, if it's the printers, if it's the mills, if it's the hands, uh, everything that has made Italy so excellent and all that. And I think my father is very much at the roots of that. And the other one, as we were saying earlier, is this kind of lifestyle approach, that anything you can touch can be thrown into uh, a new way of looking at it by, you know, making it special and creative and, and unique, yeah. invited me to your country home because you were preparing to have the archives made into a, a, a museum but to help students and that I mean I'm sure you can't be doing it now because of the Covid problems but um, you have in the past in particularly in the summer had um, students from around the world coming and, and doing learning about things through the Pucci brand is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. And this you know is, is very interesting and it's also uh, something that dawned on me in the past let's say five, seven years. Uh, for the reason that it's wonderful to have large archives. However, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an art to use the archives. Uh, I think brands have been using archives mostly as, you know, a marketing tool and doing exhibits around the world, and that's wonderful. However, I think it's just one aspect. Um, I realized, uh, thanks to women like Louise Wilson, you know, people like uh, the head of ECAL, people at the Polymoda and so on, that youth that has the opportunity to look at extraordinary archives and play with them uh, will give you such a refreshing interpretation and view and possibly uh, carry them into this century uh, with so much logic that I would be absolutely incapable of expressing the same things. And uh, to this point, I've also worked with Stanford, funnily enough, and they came up with a little project on sustainability, 
with 24 bottles that you probably uh, know are those, you know, bottles that you can just put your water in. And from the Akal, we've done skateboards a long while ago before anybody was talking about skateboards and an interactive scarf. And, you know, um, machine learning, we tried to do some prints with them and um, we have done some VR. We've done so many wonderful things and it's all thanks to the opportunity of working freely on the archive, not using it for any purpose, but just for the fun of having uh, talented kids express themselves. And that for me has probably been one of the most satisfying things I've been doing in the past few years, because A, it's a way to open your home and share the talent that you have put together in all these years. You know that the quantity of research is there and everything. And, and you know, um, I hate the idea that when things go so fast, it's merchandisers who tell you what to do. Uh, there is no more place for creativity. And there, you don't have to prove anything but just enjoy. And that's been, for me, wonderful. Ladomi, you've always been very supportive of young and new and fresh designers. And um, Polymoda, the great school in Florence, um, is something that you've been involved with right from the beginning. So tell me how you feel about fashion schools. Well, fashion schools are, are an absolute necessity, I think, today, just because, you know, you have to allow creativity to, to, to be expressed, but you also have to learn so much. I think it's become a very complex industry. And uh, maybe it looks so easy from outside, but then, as we all know, when you're inside, uh, there is a lot, a lot of to know and a lot to, to, to do. Uh, what I love, for example, with Polymoda, and I've been asked also to teach, and it's been <laughs> incredibly arduous. I didn't think it was so difficult to teach, so it's been quite interesting and amusing. And, and you know, for me, rather than teaching, it's conversations to listen and to understand what the kids need too, is um, what is extraordinary about the Polymoda is that they have the laboratoire, you know, and so uh, they can have their hands actually touching fabrics, touching leather, doing pattern making, doing all these things that, you know, even if you do them tomorrow digitally, you need how to do, know how to do them physically. And I think a whole generation has forgotten the, how much hands are important. And for me, probably because I'm Italian, probably because I come from Florence, everything starts with your hands. And, uh, and I can't thank Polymoda enough and encourage them to do that more and more um, because it really makes a difference for me, yeah. Everything starts with the hands. That's a great line. What about your own children? Have you ever dreamed that one or other of them would come into fashion in some way or shape or form? Uh, that's a tough one to answer. You know, uh, I started uh, very young with my father. I was 23. I mean, relatively young, but young enough uh, just because I guess he wanted me to. And, uh, and uh, that was that. I did not want to oblige my children. I have a daughter who is a very talented uh, graphic um, creator and, and she likes to work with VR, AR, prints, colors. I think she... I, I often think of her as Obelix, who fell in the colours when she was a child, and, and she just can't stop drawing all the time. So that's in her blood. If she's really going to make a career out of it, I do not know, but it's up to her. What I'm proud of is that all three 
adore what their grandfather did, adore what the brand is doing, and are very proud of it. And I think, you know, that really uh, is important that they know um, about fashion, about their grandfather, about the excellence of Italy and the world, and they're proud of it, yeah. And do you ever think yourself a lot about your father's glory years? I mean, there was that period in the 1960s, which is known throughout the world, when Sophia Loren and Jackie Kennedy and Jackie's sister Lee Radziville were all wearing that kind of streamlined sportiness and the geometric prints. They were all on vacation in Italy's Amalfi Coast, and it was really a whole era, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, And you know, funnily enough, the other day in Florence, somebody told me that they're opening a Sofia Loren pizzeria and she's coming to open it and do the, the launch of it. And, you know, uh, this has made me, you know, think a bit. And I, I think that it's a little bit probably like when you listen to Elton John music or the Beatles. Um, my kids listen to all of that. And I say, I can't believe it. I was listening to this when I was your age of 14 or 15 or whatever. You know, it's memories. It's part of Europe's narrative, I think, or the Western's narrative. And it's uh, beautiful images that I think will remain. Um, however, I think it's, you know, extraordinary to be part of it because there was only one Marilyn Monroe, one Jackie O, one of the, you know, and we have all that. Uh, On the other hand, uh, as you know, we've had the Madonnas and it's been progressing. So it's kind of three generations of celebrities or special women. The aesthetics change, but the concept remains. And uh, somebody I definitely would have loved to dress and I haven't got there yet is Billie Eilish, just because I think she's just such a free spirit. And she loves color. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I think it's important to, to have your history. And if you have it, you're unique. But I think it's important to be part of today, too. Yeah. Of course. And you are part of today. I, I saw in the news last week, Ladomia, that um, Kylie Jenner has a new Rolls Royce, don't we all? Um, but she's customized it with the whole interior in pink. And um, she's made the ultimate fashion statement by actually matching her entire outfit that she wears to the car. And of course, what does she include but a poochy scarf tied into a bustier? So many people, including Madonna, who you were just talking about, is a fan. But now, Ladomi, if you had to choose one person today to wear your father's poochy designs, who would it be? Um, Again, again... I'll have to end up writing a book about him and all this conversation is so much about him. And, uh, but, but, you know, thank you for, for asking these questions and I'm going to answer with his words. When he was asked this, he would say, I don't like the idea of dressing this or that lady and I'm never going to tell you the name of this or that client. Uh, I work to make women look more beautiful. And this was his idea of his work. And my idea of that is... Um, I think if we can extend that today to three generations of women, uh, different tri- kinds of cultures of women, uh, I think it, it's a success. And that's, that's following his steps. And that's what I like. I think anybody who makes clothes that makes people feel happy can only be good in this challenging position that we're in the world today. Thank you so much, Ladomia Pucci, for making it all clear for us. Thank you so much, dear Susie. Thank you. Warmest wishes. (laughs) 
I can't wait to see Pucci's capsule collection by Tokyo's Tomo Kutsumi, especially as Emilio Pucci himself was such a fan of Japan. The importance of passing on the spirit of a brand through generations is so particularly Italian. But Lidomia Pucci's fascinating words about making her father's legacy live on takes the story from the fascinating archives to inspiration for fashion students. My next podcast is all about Coco. Gabrielle Chanel's legacy and a permanent place in a Paris museum will be discussed by Bruno Pavlovsky, president of fashion at Chanel, who has been behind a multitude of developments in the famous brand. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Kahn and edited by Tim Thornton with music by Jörg Zuber and graphics by Paul Wallace. To find my articles, visit the fashion channel of vogue.co.uk and at Susie Menkes Vogue on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find me on Apple, Spotify, Google and all the usual channels. 